Tech Sounds presents The Conscious Capitalists. Hello and welcome to The Conscious Capitalists, hosted by two of the co-founders of the Conscious Capitalism Movement and co-authors of the Conscious Capitalism Field Guide from Harvard Business Press, Raj Sisodia and Timothy Henry. Each week, this podcast covers current events and business news and Raj and Timothy's latest thinking on what it takes to build a conscious business. For more information and notes from the show, go to www.theconsciouscapitalists.com. And now, Raj and Timothy. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's edition of The Conscious Capitalists with myself, Timothy Henry, and my partner, making the world a better place through business, Raj Sasodia. Hey, Raj. Hi, Timothy. Good to see you as always. Yeah, good to see you. And do you realize this is episode number 60? Hard to believe we've gotten all the way to 60. And you know what they say these days, life begins after 60. So, so we'll heard. see. Yes. We'll see how this one progresses. Well, yeah. today we want to do something a little different. We want to, instead of having a guest, we have a company as a guest. So we want to talk a little bit about a company that's been in the news over the last couple of weeks, Patagonia. Been in the news because of what its founder has done in terms of putting the company into a trust for the planet. We'll get into that in a little more detail in a moment. So Raj, tell me, I say Patagonia, what comes to your mind when I say that word? Well, you know, there's an expression that great companies are precious things. You know, I think mm. that came from that British report about the purposeful company. But truly, uh, Patagonia exemplifies that. You know, Patagonia, I think, is a gift to the world. It is a gift to the planet in many ways as a business. It has been uh, since its founding. Uh, there's been a purity uh, about it, I think, reflected in uh, all the things that they have done and not done uh, over the years. And that comes straight from uh, Yvonne Chouinard, right, and his philosophy of life and his reason for starting this company. And it really was all about uh, saving the earth, it's about protecting the, protecting the environment. And uh, he built up a very successful, very admired uh, company just from a pure business perspective. They've done extremely well. Uh, but he's never lost sight of that purpose. You know, there are some people who kind of lose sight of what they're really about uh, over time and they become billionaires and they kind of have a whole different ethos. Yeah. Uh, but this is one of those rare people who has uh, actually stayed true to his vision, has stayed to, true to his uh, reason for creating this business. And has now shown in a rather grand gesture, you know, what is possible. You know, I think there are human beings who come around and they kind of show us what's possible at the far reaches of consciousness. And most of us can aspire to move in that direction. I don't think most of us ever get all the way there. But I think uh, Yvonne is kind of showing us that path. Yeah. Well, I love the, the founding stories of Patagonia and its sister company, Black Diamond, because Yvonne founded both of those. And as I recall, he was a very avid rock climber. And being a very avid rock climber, he was going around the world and he would look at the damage that was being done to some of the best rock climbing spots in the world by people hammering in the pitons uh, time after time. And after a while, it was beginning to erode the rock faces of these incredible, beautiful rock climbing sites. So out of that came his idea of um, creating a piton 
that you could put in and would jam into the cracks and would expand and open, but didn't leave a mark. So you could climb up these sites and help preserve them at the same time. And I think that kind of thinking that was so fundamental at the very beginning, how do we save that which is most beautiful, um, has played through um, to this latest thing that he's just announced. So, so let's talk about that, Raj, the big announcement he made last week. Yeah, so basically the entire company, the $3 billion uh, valuation that it has is now being put essentially as a trust towards uh, the earth. As I say, earth is our only shareholder now. Right? Everything that we do is towards that end. And I think that is, uh, it's, it's, it's a rare thing, of course. I mean, I know of a couple of companies that come to mind that uh, somewhat along those lines, I mean, I think about uh, uh, what is the Danish pharmaceutical company, Novo Nordisk, yeah. Uh, which yeah. I think is owned by some charitable trusts, if I remember, foundations, mm. right? So they ultimately guide what that business does. And in India, of course, we have the Tatas, which remain the largest conglomerate in India. Now I think they employ a million people worldwide. Uh, but wow. most of those companies are owned, majority owned by Tata Sons. And Tata Sons is primarily owned by about 17 charitable trusts. Right? So there's a strong wow. alignment with society uh, between certain businesses. And, but I guess, as I said, those are the rare exceptions. But I think yeah. all businesses need to be thinking more about that. You know, There's a, a phrase that Peter Senge used years ago, which I love, which is that power and virtue in our world need to go together. And unfortunately, we've created a world in which those two are often opposite or in opposite sides, right? The most powerful kind of lose their sense of virtue or perhaps never had much to begin with. And the most virtuous don't seek out power. Yeah. And hence, you end up with people, the higher up you go in organizations, the more Machiavellian you know, people get. There's that frightening statistic about uh, psychopaths. <laughs> and that about 20%, you know, about 1% of the general population fits these the criteria for being a sociopath or a psychopath. And it's about 20% mm. in high security prisons. And it's also about 20% in executive suites. And that's the yeah. world we've created. And I think we're showing, being shown a different path here that we need to yeah. actually align those two things together. Otherwise, you know, we know that, yeah. you know, leadership makes a difference. And without power, you cannot really be an effective leader. But if that power is being used in a uh, not in a pro-social way, uh, but actually the opposite of that, then then I think we see all the dysfunction and the harm uh, that that we yeah. see in the world. Well, you know, it's interesting as you say that, Raj. The thought that occurs to me is values and value, <laughs> and the idea that you know we all as human beings have these certain values, and you know, in the end all the great religions and the great spiritual traditions, you know, something like some version of the golden rule lies at the heart of many of these things. Mm -hmm. And when you're inside an organization, and you and I have spoken about this before, you know, the, the level of caring that's there and the values that um, a company like Patagonia has been really true to around taking care of the planet, taking care of their people. And then how, when we start talking about value, suddenly values... <laughs> <laughs> we forget about that and, and it somehow um, gets skipped. So I think it's really interesting that um, I think the number is like $100 million a year in dividend payments is, is what he's giving up and putting into this trust. So his values and the value he's created, he's sort of made them, he's sort of aligned them now 
and that's what we're seeing in the in this you know yeah. really extraordinary gesture yeah and i think you know there's a sense of urgency that that more and more people are rightly feeling as, as some have said this is the decade of determination this will determine our future whether we reach a variety of different tipping points when it comes to the climate and the various systems that the planet operates with and so there is that great sense of urgency and i think uh, not enough leaders are showing that i i, I think we see signs of that uh, but not enough not enough of a sense of bold action you know and it sort of reminds me of that uh, that fable about nero the emperor of rome fiddling while rome was burning and i think a lot of us are fiddling and while this planet essentially is is burning you know and uh, so yeah. that sense of urgency i think is 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 really imperative and uh, ivan is showing showing us how yeah. we need to move in that way well you know it's interesting as you say that you know um in so many ways patagonia has been a pioneer a pioneer in organic cotton um a, a pioneer in looking at the the supply chain from a complete carbon footprint point of view a pioneer in trying to recycle and developing circular products mm -hmm. and it's created value as a company by being a pioneer in a way that's totally aligned with trying to be a force for good with the planet and so it's not just words and an intention that sounds good on paper but in their business practices they've been pioneering and as a result created a very very successful company by pioneering some of these ideas yeah and, and I, I think i really uh, admire that yeah there's a lot to admire there and i know you've been to their headquarters and i've read about it you know it's right next to the ocean and they have a whole bunch of surfboards that are right there and if the surfs up people are encouraged to go out take a break put your work down and yeah. you know, enjoy the enjoy the surf so the the quality of life of their employees yeah extraordinary they have that on-site uh, childcare you know you see people having lunch with their children every day you know that's a huge stress for many many people yeah. about what's happening yeah. with their kids so it's not that there there are some companies that are singularly focused on one stakeholder and others kind of pay the price you know and you know amazon has been accused of that in the past about being very customer focused although it's interesting maybe that's another episode amazon has now identified employees as an important and essential customer group and they want to be the world's best employer you know they're going to bring that same focus but i think many companies become kind of uh, single pointed and other yeah. stakeholders you know sometimes even customer obsessed companies that abuse their employees basically the customer is always right when yeah. the customer is not always right i think in yeah. this case it's a beautiful integration of all of them it's a great place to work one of the best input yeah. customers you know they are educating their customers they're famous of course for that ad a few years ago after uh, on black friday yeah uh, don't buy this jacket right you know you probably have enough jackets in your closet you don't need a new one we can help you repair the old one right those yeah. kinds of things yeah. like mindset you know i yeah. think really interesting yeah you know and i love the example about the surfing because you know people will look at that and go oh yeah they just go off surfing you know it's not you know they don't, they don't take things seriously but you have to frame it that the way they operate is people work in teams and when the surf is up everybody knows it's up however you have to check in with your team and say hey team what's due today and um and then have a discussion with the team to check in and say is it okay now if i go take this break i will 
you know, do the work. I will make sure I get my part done by the end of the day. And that means I have to stay and work a little later. Great. But what they don't take their eye off of is that the team has certain performance goals. And within that parameter, it's okay to go take a time refresh yourself. And for them, that happens to be a mental health break happens to be kicking a surfboard, crossing over the highway, getting on the beach and surfing for an hour or so. But but people get stuck in the idea, oh, that's the company where they go surfing. And it's like, yeah, but what you forget is underneath that, there's a real disciplined organization that's focused on performance and working well as teams and the mental health of their employees and showing that this isn't an either or, it's an and. Right. And I think one of his books is called Let My People Go Surfing, right? Exactly. <laughs> and that's why people get so hung up on the surfing thing. Yeah. And and I was really impressed because when you're sitting there, um, I'm impressed about the point about that they not only have the daycare, they, at least when I was there, they had school up to grade four. Um, and so you could, up until grade four, go have lunch with your children. And they said, you know, we make back in productivity what it costs us to host this space tenfold. And they said, you know, the, the example at the time was saying, listen, we have a job opening in our Ventura headquarters. We get anywhere from 75 to 100 applicants for every job opening because people want to work at a place where they've got that kind of attitude uh, towards people, valuing people. And when you combine that valuing of people with purpose, a strong sense of performance and what performance means, you create a great business. Yeah, and extraordinary leaders, uh, you know, of course, Yvonne, but then uh, we've both known Casey Sheehan, Rose Mercario. I mean, they've had extraordinary leaders who really walk the talk, you know, are living embodiments, I think. And, and I think that shows, you know, as you know, in conscious capitalism, we use selfless as the word to describe a conscious leader uh, because they have to transcend that narrow perspective, the selfishness, right? You cannot be a selfish human being, call yourself a leader, because that means you're going to use them to achieve your goals. And that's that's the definition of a tyrant. But I think here, you know, it is very, very clear. I think we've seen that with all the leaders. And of course, all those qualities, strength, right? Moral courage, personal power, you know, they demonstrate that in spades. Yvonne Shannad is demonstrating that in, in, in spades. Energy and enthusiasm. Uh, he's got lots yeah. of that in, well into his 80s now. Uh, love and care, that's fundamental. And that's really rooted in how they treat their people, how they treat their planet. It's all coming from love as everything should when it comes to human yeah. action. Everything we do should be rooted in love. And then flexibility, as you talked about, right, with the, uh, the surfing, a very, very long-term orientation way beyond yeah. your lifetime, as we have to think about. This planet has been here four and a half billion years. Humanity has been around a few hundred thousand. We cannot be thinking just of the next even five years or 10 years. It has to be about yeah. 100 years, right? And then the emotional intelligence, the systems intelligence, the spiritual intelligence. So I think this brings it all together in a beautiful way. And it yeah. just shows you know, we're kind of, you know, humanity is kind of afflicted with this, what people are calling affluenza, right? Have you heard that? The combination of uh, you know the uh, influenza and being affluent, but you know we are so caught up in that. I think the definition is a painful, contagious, socially transmitted condition of overload, debt, anxiety, and waste, resulting from the dogged pursuit of more. And I yeah. think that's kind of the psych, you know, the ethos and the psychology we've created 
in people yeah. that it's all about the pursuit of more and more and more. And I have a friend who said, I had everything, but I, I felt like I needed two of everything. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's mindless. And uh, I saw yeah. a, a little uh, depiction recently of a, a cover of Forbes magazine with a chimpanzee eating a banana. Mm. And it said, if a monkey hoarded more bananas than it could eat, while most of the other monkeys starved, scientists would study that monkey to figure out what the heck is wrong with it. <laughs> and humans, when humans do it, we put them on the cover of Forbes, <laughs> the yeah. richest, uh, you know, chimpanzees. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, I can't think of very many yeah. billionaires who have this ethos, yeah. or anything close to it. You know, there seems to be some negative correlation between yeah. accumulation of that much wealth and having this kind of, you yeah. know, understanding of what really matters, you know, yeah. what really is important in this life. And I think there's a, there's a beautiful uh, quote about money from the Indian tradition. It was said that money, if you cannot respect the way you earn it, money has no meaning. And if you cannot use it to make life better for other people, money has no purpose. I see a lot of these billionaires, you know, made, I don't know, billions of dollars just on paper because of some stock, you know, going crazy or options or whatever. But you know, really, it's, it wasn't real work, you know, that that uh, resulted in the uh, creation of that money. You can't say that they worked 10 million times harder than this person or that person. You know, it's a combination of luck and our system that kind of over, disproportionately rewards certain things. So we really, and if you don't respect the way you earned it, you know, then it kind of changes, you know, the energy that it contains. Money is a form of embodied energy. Yeah. And, and, and that, you know, a sense of uh, respect that we can have for it because of the way that we earned it, which genuinely, honestly, uh, makes a yeah. difference. And then if you can't use it to make life better here, you know, all these billionaires trying to head off to Mars <laughs> and other places when you've got a beautiful planet right here, you know, if we yeah. can't deploy that. Yeah. You know, so I think that's kind of, again, what he is showing us. What is money all well, about? Lintuist talks about this and, money, right? And it's, it's not something new as well. I mean, what's also interesting and what always has struck me is that, in essence, Patagonia never took on any debt. So they financed all of their growth internally. And yeah. not only did they finance it internally, but secondly, you know, they said, if we open four or five stores uh, a year, that's fine. That kind of growth for us is manageable growth within the parameters of uh, stewardship of a sustainable business. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, the discussion that went on. Uh, Yvonne came by, and Casey Sheehan was there, and we were. There was a sidebar discussion happening, and part of the sidebar discussion was, yeah, private equity comes calling every month <laughs> with a new deal, a new <laughs> yeah. deal. And listen, we can double your growth. We can we can double or triple the number of stores you're opening, and you know we can finance that. We'll we'll, we'll take on more debt. We'll do these things, and it was just anathema to them because their model was, um, you know what growing at eight to 12 or 15% a year for us is fine. That is fine if we're doing it within the parameters of our purpose and, and being fiscally responsible. So again, it's not a story of them not being fiscally responsible. It's sort of saying, you know what, 10 or 15% growth is fine for us. <laughs> and, and we don't need to take on debt. We can self-finance. We can control our own destiny. And 
And I think that's one of the lovely consequences of what he's doing is as he sets up this trust, he's allowing the business to continue to control its destiny. Because often when you have these founder transitions, you know, it, it can be very tempting to go to, you know, other sources of financing and people who want to buy the business for lots of money. But he's somebody who sort of said, this is enough for me. And, yeah, uh, and, and, and the soul, kind of preserving the soul of this enterprise, you know, it's going to lose its soul if you go down certain paths, like becoming a public company, even he has avoided yeah. that because he feels that's not going to you know, allow him to do what he's doing. And it's interesting that the whole family has been on board, his children, his wife, I mean, everybody is, there's no, yeah. oh, I was expecting to inherit a lot of money here, you know, then I think it's, it's, it shows the consciousness that they've created you know, within yeah. that uh, within that family, you know, so I think it's uh, it's it's beautiful uh, what they have done. But I think to me, yeah. ultimately, you know, this is about what is business capable of doing in this in this in this world, right? And when we put profit at the center, then it it, it does a certain kind of set of things. Yeah. It uses people, it uses the community, it uses resources, it uses uh, you know all of the stakeholders in, in service of that one end often yeah. with negative consequences, right? So these negative externalities abound when you yeah. put profit at the center and everything serves that. And I think yeah. we need our own version of a Copernican revolution where before Copernicus, we thought the earth was the center of the universe and everything, the moon and the sun and the stars revolved around it. And he showed that that wasn't the case. I think we need our own, which is to say that it's not profit and that needs to be at the center, but it needs to be people and the planet. And I believe other life forms. So I put life at the center. And life meaning people, the planet, and other life forms, because as we know, we're living through a mass extinction, the fifth in our in the history of the planet, and the first one primarily caused by human activity. And that, you know, as Einstein said, if the bees disappear, humans disappear five years later. You know, we are really playing with fire. We are in the, you know, because this is an intricate wove of interdependent, interconnected life. And yeah. systematically destroying huge chunks of that means all of us ultimately could perish. So I believe putting yeah. life at the center. And then the company and all of its stakeholders essentially serving yeah. the yeah. You know, flourishing of all life forever, yeah. essentially. And I yeah. think this, this shows that. Well, I, I love that if we looked at our last three podcasts, there's a line that runs through them. So just to remind our listeners, we had David Sloan Wilson, an evolutionary biologist, coming on and telling us about the the science behind some of the things that Raj is talking about, how you know, we, we need to be um, understanding how the science of evolutionary biology should be impacting our economic models because we're we're really learning a lot about how the world really works. And it'd be great to align economics with that. But then second, our, our next person was Ketan Patal, who was talking about the the huge business opportunity for capital to be deployed against the sustainable development goals and the opportunity that lies there for businesses to benefit from the opportunity to do the right thing. And then finally, we had Fred Reitholt last week talking about you know, customer capitalism, consumer capitalism. And the thread that ran through all of those was that we need to take this long-term perspective. If you really want to build a customer-centric business, it's going to take three to five years to do that. It's not something you do quarter to quarter or turn it around in a quarter. It take, you know, 
Um, and the same with Kitan Patal was talking about some of these opportunities are going to take three to five years to be realized. If you're looking at financial inclusion in India and helping bring people into the banking system as they start to move up the economic ladder, um, you need to plant those seeds today for something that in three to five years will be a viable business opportunity. And then lastly, David Sloan Wilson was saying, you know, listen, we, we've always thought in five or 10 year slots that, that you know, those are the minimal sort of um, time slots for, for humans to, to change tribes, to change their community, to impact their communities. And yet so much of our financial system rewards those that have the short term thing. So I think between Patagonia's focus on, you know, we want to be a thriving, sustainable business over the next three to five years and using that as the way to sort of anchor, you know, the thinking that drives their strategic framework is incredibly important. And all the things you said, Raj, about people and planet uh, all come from this point of view of can you look out three to five years and work backwards. And, and we're not saying don't be disciplined quarter by quarter. You've got to execute every quarter. However, at the same time, if you don't have that vision, if you don't have that purpose, you're, you're, you know, you're going to react to the latest wind, which will tend to be quarterly results. And I, th I think one last point I would like to make about uh, Yvonne versus you know, some of the other billionaires who are part of that giving pledge mm -hmm. right, that I think Gates and uh, Buffett started. And yep. a lot of them said we're pledging to give 50% or whatever that number is, you know. You know, I think yeah. that's good. That's good. I mean, Gates Foundation certainly is doing good things and will do good things. But I think there's a there's a difference here because very often there are companies that make focus on making money by all means possible as much as possible, right? And then we'll do good with that money. As opposed to saying the way we make the money is also going to do good. Right? So it's not just about how we spend the money at the end, but how we make the money and what are the consequences of doing so. And I would argue that a lot of those uh, massive fortunes uh, that have been accumulated have not necessarily come by doing good along the way. They have come, there was some good, obviously, that was done. Value was created for customers and others. But there was also a lot of harm that was done along the way. And I think we have to look at that. How are we making the money you know, before we figure out what we do with it? And I think in Patagonia's case, you know, those three, that $3 billion was made by doing a lot of ancillary good, not by causing ancillary harm. You know, the externalities for the most part were positive. Now, where they were negative and they were using regular cotton and then they realized it and they said, oh, even though it costs 10 times as much, we need to use organic cotton, right? And other decisions like that, right? So I think it's, it's those kinds of things about how we make the money that matters and then what we do with it, right? Ultimately at the end, put that to good use. And one of the other great things about Yvonne has been that he's recognized that Patagonia is a tiny company still by most measures, right? If you look in a world of multi-trillion dollar companies today, it's still a small yep. company, but he realized that his impact in the world was disproportionate to that. He had the ability to impact mm. at a much larger scale. So some years ago when he started working with Walmart, Yes, exactly. Where them, I was going to say next, yeah, <laughs> yeah, align their uh, operations with uh, with with better uh, you know, environmental stewardship. Uh, a lot of people criticized him. He said, "Oh, why are you helping the enemies, so, so to speak?" Yeah. And he said, "If I can even get them to shift a little bit, 
Yeah. That's going to make a bigger difference than anything we can do here in Patagonia. Yeah. So I think you recognize that larger role and that kind of alignment of purpose that happens. Yeah. When you have a purity in your purpose, then you see a lot of other players out there, not as competitors, but as fellow travelers or potential fellow travelers. Yeah. Right? If you can get them aligned in some yeah. way with, with that purpose that you believe in. Yeah. So I think it changes the nature of competition and brings in more cooperation. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's right. And I think that's the wonderful thing about Patagonia, Raj, is that in uh, in many ways, it shows what's possible. And always important to have that kind of anchor point to look to. Now, not everybody can be a Patagonia overnight, because obviously, it's in their DNA, it was in their purpose. Yvonne started the business with this kind of mentality and, and approach. However, it does show that in today's mature market for things like sporting clothing, it is possible to operate in a different way, still be incredibly popular and incredibly profitable with your focus on people and planet. So I think that's, he's just continuing to set the bar and tell us what's possible. And that's just, that's just wonderful. It is. So, uh, yeah, I think there's, uh, we look forward to uh, seeing what happens there. And hopefully we see inspirational acts or inspired acts by others. I just read about the uh, founder of Lululemon, I think, donating a bunch of money to save the, the uh, forests in Canada. You know, I think so. Mm. So hopefully yeah. there will be more people inspired to do these kinds of uh, courageous acts of, uh, of stewardship. Well, thanks, Raj, and thank you to our listeners. And if you enjoyed our little discussion this week, then please uh, leave a rating for us over at iTunes or whatever channel you're listening to. Hit the subscribe button. And I'd like to thank Tech Sounds for producing this week's show. Thank you. And I'd like to thank uh, Technological Monterey and the Conscious Enterprise Center for the work that they're doing and also supporting uh, the spread of conscious business. Brilliant. See you next week, Raj. Be well. Thank you. See you then.